Well, since it's been predicted that I probably won't finish and I don't need much convincing myself, uh, but we'll see how we do. I think last time we finished looking through the Old Testament as to the new heaven and the new earth. We'll just read that one verse in 2 Peter to remind us. Second Peter chapter 3. read verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Why don't we pray together? Thank you, Lord, that we can look for these things. And as we heard, uh, my hands certainly have been weary and hanging down. Lord, want to look up again to you. Remember all your promises. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. For us in Christ Jesus and know that his promises shall never fail. We bless you this morning. Give us insight and grace uh, to understand your word and to uh, hope in it, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brothers, for sharing those things. I certainly needed that. With my personality, I'm uh, in many ways like Martin when I do stuff uh, at the end of the... No matter how good it is, I see nothing but the defects (laughs) and uh, are not hard to be convinced what a piece of garbage of course, I can see that fault in others, but uh, yeah, don't recognize it in myself. And, uh, <laughs> so Martin and I do understand each other <laughs> in our work, yes. <clears throat> so I kind of feel like that when I'm trying to present. Uh, I never feel like I'm communicating uh, adequately. But last time we looked at the Old Testament and um, the promise that Peter is talking about there in verse 13 is found in Isaiah 65 and 66. And that is a new heaven and a new earth. But then when you read those passages, you find that there's sinners there and that things aren't perfect. And... uh, 
what I believe is happening there is it's the restoration of the people of God back in the land after the captivity. Um, and then a picture of them building the temple, the new temple, and the attendant, uh, as Martin mentioned, the temple worship with no real heart for God. You see that in Isaiah 66 in verse 2 and 3 and 4. And then the true um, revelation, as it, uh, pardon the pun, uh, of the new heaven and the new earth is found in the book of Revelation, the second last and the last chapter of the Bible, which is fitting at the close of human history that God would reveal what's ahead for his people. And last time I said there were four things yet to happen, and then Martin mentioned a few, and then I thought, yep, there's, uh, there's now five things. <laughs> so instead of changing... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, and then there's this yet. Um, uh, yeah, a bit of a chuckle. But, uh, things that we for sure know haven't happened yet. The resurrection of the body of the saints hasn't happened yet both of the righteous and of the unrighteous we know that will be a future event Um, Paul considered it a heresy to teach that the resurrection had already happened in the first century and I believe that is still the case the resurrection of the body has not happened yet but it will The destruction of the enemies of God, it seems like it's obvious that that has not happened yet. Um, And we mourn over that whole thing, but we know it is still yet to come. As we read before us in 2 Peter, that the present heavens and earth is reserved for fire, and the judgment of God and the perdition, the damnation of ungodly men. Uh, but our hearts toward them should be one of uh, sorrow and hope that people would be saved and not one of condemnation, and we can hardly wait till they're burned up. That is just not the heart of his people now. To be, (laughs) we're inserting revival in Israel, not of a rebuilt temple, but of the Messiah. Turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. I think these scriptures would make it clear that there is something, and I don't believe it's a restoration of the Old Testament system, as we talked about, is a picture of spiritual things to come, and God isn't going to take them back there, but he is Uh, wanting them to look to him. In Matthew 23, in verse 39, after he has just pronounced judgment on uh, Jerusalem and the unbelievers in it, he said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, 
Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then turn over to Romans chapter 11. I don't believe the church is now the new Israel and Israel as a nation is forgotten of God. Uh, The new nation is Jew and Gentile together, but God still, I believe, is um, looking to that nation for fruit. Romans 11 and verse 15. We'll we'll read in at verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, rather that through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. That is um, the present state of Israel. We're we're to provoke them to jealousy. The Gentiles coming away are coming in to be the people of God. In verse 15, for if, The casting away of them. And that's what happened when Paul said, Behold, I go to the Gentiles. Since you count yourselves unworthy of eternal life, I go to the Gentiles. Because he would go into every city, and he would go into the synagogue, and he would preach Christ. And then they hardened themselves, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he had a heart for Israel, as he says in Romans chapter 9. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, that's the Gentiles, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So I can hardly think that there isn't going to be something of them receiving the Messiah. If it could be said that just that small part of the nation that believed is the casting away of them, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and all of that that happened, if that's the casting away of them, what is the receiving of them going to look like but a large number of Jews being saved? And who doesn't thrill in their hearts? I certainly do. When um, explaining to a Jew the gospel, it couldn't be anything more natural and more sad when it's rejected. I don't know about you. My dentist, I grew up as a little kid going to the same dentist in Toronto for till I don't know, I was maybe, well, I know I was past 22 because I got saved and I still went to him at 22 years old. And he sat me down, he asked me, he said, what's happened in your life? I've heard that you, and I got to speak to him of Jesus Christ. I can remember thrilling in my heart and then, of course, Uh, Morning that he uh, just treated it more as a curiosity. Verse 25 of Romans 11, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Blindness in part, part of the nation believed, a small part. Uh, Throughout the book of Romans, a remnant, a small remnant, believed, and the rest were hardened. Nice to think about, a revival in Israel. Now they're a secular nation with a few believing people. 
Nothing has changed, really, in how many thousands of years. Nothing has changed. <clears throat> Another thing that has happened, I'm kind of out on a limb with this one, but it has happened, and I believe could happen again. <clears throat> Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 3. Now, I grew up on a futurist uh, view of things wherein um, all the book of Revelation is future, except for the first three chapters. Future, like, it's going to happen in a three and a half year period. That's how I grew up. I've since doubted that, and I am more convinced of a historical position in which most of the book of Revelation has unfolded down through human history, and it seems, um, yeah, I am more and more convinced that is true. I've had trouble piecing things together, but uh, that's not uh, uncommon. (laughs) And this... Uh, I believe, even though it has happened, could happen again. And uh, <clears throat> we'll read in at uh, verse 3 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that's the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the Son of of perdition. So this man of sin um, had not come yet in the first century. Paul says, don't be upset. You haven't missed uh, the catching away of the saints because there's some things that have to happen first. And that before that great day of the Lord comes. Remember, the day of the Lord is salvation of the righteous just before the destruction uh, of the wicked. And he says there has to come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. Um, In the first century, Christianity expanded out of Jerusalem, the holy city, the camp of the saints, and it went and it started to travel through the globe. It was heavily persecuted in the first and second centuries and into the third century. And then arose a man named Constantine, and he made the entire Roman Empire Christian. Great. Now we have the emperor uh, that has declared persecution ended for a time. And everybody was a Christian. Is that how Christianity works? (laughs) Only the true saints would probably start to realize this is a bad thing Uh, because then the church was full of unconverted people and paganism came into the church through and eventually became the Roman, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) So the Roman Empire, which waned in power in the 4th, 5th, and 6th century A.D., that 
civil power became a religious power. And one man rose out of Christianity, and it was in the form of the papacy. And the papacy took up the name of the emperor in a religious fashion. And he became this man of sin. And he arose out of the temple of God. And the temple of God isn't the physical temple back in Jerusalem, but it is the temple in the epistles of the New Testament is the church of God. It is the right interpretation. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. But the whole notion that this man of sin is going into the temple, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, I just don't believe that that is, violates the text here. And historically, that's what has happened. This man of sin, the Catholic Pope, exalted himself to the place, and you can read and search it out for yourself where he declared himself as God. And he was worshipped in the world. This is the man of sin. And he ruled the world, not Australia and China and Japan, but he ruled the Roman Empire for 1260 years. That is a long time. Can you imagine being at the beginning of that? 1260 years. And it ended, I believe, in... I would say 1800s. The Roman, the Holy Roman Catholic Church fell from its great power. And then the countries that gave power to that beast in agreeing with him and in supporting him in his position, then devoured him. And that's basically the book of Revelation. (laughs) And if you were living in it, it was going to last a long time. Imagine looking forward a thousand years from our perspective. We're going to have to put up with this man of sin for over a thousand years and he ruled the world with an iron fist and he trampled the saints of God he made war with him and the lamb and he overpowered them but he didn't really (laughs) because Christ's kingdom triumphed and eventually um, we see Christianity rising out of that Roman Empire in a great revival that now we are experiencing the tail end of it, as it were. Um, Christianity rose to its apex in the 17, 18s, and 100s through the English kingdom, and Christianity went into all the world. Just think of the English men and influence that evangelized and influenced North America, China, India, all Africa, all by English influence. The gospel, not because the English people are special. It's just how it happened. Uh, God brought together his word, and then that word went in the English kingdom throughout the world. And the papacy fell in its influence and power. That's basically what's happened in history. And if you read the book of Revelation... 
it seems obvious that that's what it is. But having said all that, I believe that another, because the, it was a religious empire, a religious thing, it was a government thing in the, in the, the Roman Empire, the beasts of, Dan, of Daniel's prophecy and the beasts of Revelation were still government, whether they were religious or irreligious. And I believe that there could be another man of sin like that. I would not say just because this has been fulfilled that that couldn't happen again. So this man of sin, in verse 4, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that as God sitteth in the temple of God, that's the church of God, he arose, the Pope rose out of Christianity. The true church was, as it were, fell away, and out of that rose this horrible beast It's not a literal beast, but he's a beast because of what he does. He devours the people of God. But he didn't prevail over them ultimately. He killed their bodies, but not their souls and not their message. So he goes in showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he is taken out of the way. I believe that was the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor was keeping down the Pope from rising up because it was a competing power. But then when Rome fell, out of the ashes of Rome, a dead beast arose and revived the Holy Roman Empire in the Catholic Church. And it persecuted the saints of God as a Christian uh, religion. And the saints uh, prevailed over that. And Christianity went out into all the world. But... I would not say that that could not happen again. It would seem, as Martin has already alluded to, that another world government is coming to the forefront. Certainly the technology is there like never before to bring the entire globe into uh, under one man. I don't believe we should be fixated with that whole thing. We're still looking for Christ Jesus But as John and the Lord saw fit to reveal unto his people that these things are there and we need to be um, fighting against them, not with carnal weapons, but with spiritual ones. Uh, The weapon of love and the truth is the weapons which uh, the saints fight with, not with words of anger and swords and protest and all of these things it's uh, not the way so that man of sin uh, even though the papacy and the the Roman church is lost its power it still exists but it is not a world power anymore 
So we've already mentioned, I believe, the destruction of the present world by fire is yet to come. It's obvious. And lastly, the creating of a new heaven and a new earth is yet to come. Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Sorry, kind of got excited about that whole thing. Forgive me (laughs) if I come across as being some arrogant sod. But uh, I really, uh, I'm excited about the the whole thing. We're living in perilous times, as the saints have. So I've wrote down uh, (laughs) three foundational inferences there's probably seven but i'm writing down three this is this is my own musings as it were foundational inferences from scripture that there will be yet a physical new heaven and new earth and i have um, these of course you'll have to keep your finger in revelation we'll just probably try and uh, quote them for the sake of time In the resurrection, we will have physical bodies, that's obvious, and I could hardly think that there won't be a physical world to accompany that. Remember the Lord Jesus, he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have, and he took a piece of fish and a honeycomb and he ate. Um, He wasn't some kind of, many cults teach a disembodied spirit, but he had flesh and bone. He was glorified. He could pass through walls. He could go up into heaven and all of those things, but yet he was a physical man. I don't know how all that works, but that is the truth. So I could hardly think that there won't be a physical earth to accompany physical people. History began with a perfect physical world, and it will end with a better physical world than the first. And I believe it will be better uh, for these reasons. In the first world, uh, there was things that were still forbidden. In the world to come, there will be nothing forbidden. In the first world, there was still enemies. And the possibility of falling into transgression, even though it was a perfect world. But there won't be that in the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be a perfect world wherein no enemy, no, nothing that defiles can encroach and, um, as it were, destroy things. <clears throat> and I could hardly think that there won't that better physical world won't be a literal physical world. It's not just going to be a place of visions and we're all going to be floating around on clouds and I've come many of the ridiculous uh, things that are, um, people have in their minds, uh, eating Philadelphia cream cheese and all the nonsense that goes on um, that people think heaven is. <clears throat> their dog, playing with their dogs and all kinds of stuff. They're <coughs> Um, so that is, uh, I believe, just so when we get to what we're talking about in the book of Revelation, you don't think, how does that square with, uh, if you say this is all symbolic, how does that square with 
I believe what's here is simply symbolic of something that is indescribable. (laughs) When Paul was caught up to the third heaven, he says, I couldn't even speak about it. I'm obviously surmising what he's saying. He heard words that just were unlawful for him to utter. It's going to be so magnificent, so beyond our, I know it's a cliche, our wildest dreams. And evil will be permanently banished, never to rise again. (laughs) Glorious uh, to think of, but that is uh, what will happen. So that brings us to everything in the book of Revelation has been fulfilled. The beast has been cast down in the form of the papacy. And um, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Uh, This is where I believe it's yet uh, either in the middle of that or he's been unleashed. It would seem some of the unbelievable things that we're seeing quite now is because Satan is unleashed. There is no indication of timelines when these things would happen. It doesn't say it happens. I know that people have said Satan's going to be bound in the millennium. And the millennium is still future. When Christ returns to the earth, he's going to destroy the world. And then he's going to remake it. And then there's going to be evil people here again. That's basically the teaching of the millennium. And somehow physical people that are unglorified and yet saints get into the millennium as physical people only. They're not glorified saints. And they populate the world again. And then those people rebel against the... um, against Christ Jesus and the people of God, and that is Revelation chapter 20 in many people's minds. I don't believe that squares with the rest of Scripture, that all the saints will be raised bodily to be with the Lord forever. There isn't some kind of in-between time where you've got physical people and the saints on the earth, and it just doesn't seem to square. And I... Rather than trying to fit uh, Revelation 20 into that, what does this all mean? I'm thinking that perhaps we've been misunderstanding it. (laughs) And uh, the book of Revelation cannot be interpreted literally. Uh, We could demonstrate that as we go through. If you take a literal approach to interpreting the book of Revelation, you end up with some very weird and difficult stuff. (laughs) That's just the reality of it. It is not the approach, um, whether you're reading the book of Daniel or whether you're reading the book of Zechariah. There is so much imagery uh, and symbols and enigmas that you could never just say, well, this is literal. But, having said that, with figures, there is a reality behind it. And we could take uh, several messages to demonstrate that, but I won't do that right now. Um, But when you read about frogs coming out of the sea and the earth, 
and beasts and all of that, it represents something. But it is not literal frogs and literal beasts. I think we understand that. And so are those that, um, but still, people want to really push the whole literal interpretation or else you don't believe the Bible. And I don't believe that's uh, the way it is either. But in the book of Revelation, there is many symbols. Uh, chapter 14, you've got the, the lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000. 144,000, I mean, my, in my uh, non-math mind, that's uh, 12 times 12 is 144 times 1,000. 12 times 12. You'll see that number, um, multiples of 12 coming up over and over again. 24 elders. Uh, then we get to Revelation chapter 21, and you see that the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, has uh, 12 foundation stones. All of these things are emblematic of a reality, <laughs> but they're still emblems and symbols, and you don't take the symbol as the reality. Uh, we... we have to learn that from seeing that many of the things that happened under the old covenant don't eat uh, clean animals were cloven footed and they chewed the cud (laughs) that's not just an end in itself that means that a clean animal um, it's cloven footed lives in heaven and on earth at the same time and it chews the cud It, it brings up the word of God over and over again. Unclean animals weren't that way. They had like the horse and the pig and you name it, all of those things. That was a picture of a reality. And the reality is that the person of God is a person that lives on the earth, but he lives in heaven at the same time. All of those things teaching a spiritual reality. And the spirit comes first, the reviving of the spirit, and then the resurrection. A new heart and then the resurrection of the body. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So if the rest of the book of Revelation cannot be interpreted literally, then when we get to chapter 21, I don't believe that we can interpret it literally. And what we mean by that is it's symbolic of something else. And the symbol is important, (laughs) as we shall see. Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. The first heaven, as we read in Peter an epistle that talks about literal things, fire develop, or enveloping the globe and destroying the world as water destroyed the world before, is literally going to happen. But after that happens, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. They were dissolved, as Peter says, burned up, and there was no more sea. I believe the sea in Revelation is turned to uh, chapter 13. 
Sometimes it's giving a picture of a physical sea, as men would know it to illustrate. But what it really is, is um, the unconverted humanity, I believe. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his head heads the name of blasphemy. So the beast rises out of the sea, out of the sea of humanity. <laughs> and we, we even, we, we've even used that term, I was in a sea of people. What you mean is there's a lot of people. And that sea is uh, the unconverted humanity. Uh, turn to uh, Revelation 17. Revelation 17 and verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels who had the seven vials and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I'll show you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And then he interprets that for us in verse uh, 15, 17, 15. And he saith to me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The whore was the Roman, holy Roman Catholic Church that ruled the world. No one could buy or sell unless you were Roman Catholic. And you had to have the mark of the beast on your forehead or in your right hand. Notice it says in your right hand or it sometimes says on your right hand. All emblematic of um, what's in your heart, in your mind about this beast. And what would be in your hand is what you do. And uh, this is what I used to do as a Roman Catholic. Not with, the, not with this hand unless you didn't have an arm. but um, And I would bless myself like this in the Mass. Um, these are emblems of a mind that has gone after the beast. And that beast ruled many nations and tongues and languages, but they were, that rose out of the sea of people. John says, there's no more sea. All there's going to be left is the redeemed. That's it. Um, and we're not, yeah, we want to take as many people with us as possible. We're not, our heart now is, um, as the Lord Jesus who hung on the cross <clears throat> said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, loving our enemies. Even though then, They'll, there shall be no more sea. And whether there'll be a physical sea and all of that, I don't know. It's going to be different than it is now. Verse 2, and I, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <clears throat> now, for the Jew... Jerusalem, as we said last time, was the joy of all the earth, and it became a picture of heaven for the Jew. They just loved Mount Zion, and uh, rightly so, because it's a place where God dwelled. <clears throat>
Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. But we need to understand the imagery that Paul affirms in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Three terms to describe Jerusalem, the, the real one. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, made perfect. The city of the living God is the people of God. The uh, Mount Zion, where the Lamb stands, and all his people with him, that's uh, the new uh, Jerusalem. And it's pictured as coming down uh, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. It's quite natural. And um, in the Old Covenant, a bride would adorn herself with all kinds of jewels and uh, costly garments. The bridegroom also decketh himself with ornaments. Um, It's not an evil thing. It has its place, but it is normal for a bride to deck herself out for her. Um, and which one of us that aren't married here hasn't, um, yeah, enjoyed seeing their bride come down the aisle, <laughs> just adorned for her husband. Now, there's a lot of stuff of adornment that needs to be put away, but that imagery there is is uh, is a right and good thing. <clears throat> it's a joyous day. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Because the, the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, the people of God, and they're decked out in all uh, his glory. Isaiah 61. In... Preparing this, I have saw that all of heaven is spoken of in the prophets, and it is—it's—I uh, could—I mean, it's—it's it's, uh, blown my mind to see what's in the prophets of all that's the entire book of all the prophets. You name them, is wrapped up in the last two chapters of the Bible. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, mind blowing. Isaiah chapter 61. Sorry, getting a sidetrack there. And it shouldn't surprise us, but uh, Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robes robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels again as we get into it the the jewels the the splendor the of heaven is the people of god first and foremost 
the splendor of heaven besides God himself is the people of God. And that uh, it says he, he dressed, you see, the robe of righteousness in the book of Revelation was, it says explicitly, the righteousness of the saints. Not their own, but the righteousness of Christ. Them shining out, as it were. It says we shine as lights in the world. And that's not our own righteousness, but it's the righteousness of Christ. It's a real righteousness. And if you don't have righteousness, then you're not a saint. <laughs> but um, it's not some theo- theological righteousness and theoretical one that um, if I wasn't a Christian, I would you know, kill this person, as some of the nonsense I've heard. That is just... Because you are a Christian, you won't even in your heart, want to kill somebody. That's what is the reality. Um, But the righteousness of the saints, not their own, and yet it is their own. It's the sources from God. It didn't arise out of them. And yet the splendor of heaven is all those jewels sparkling. Even the prophet Malachi, the Lord says through the prophet Malachi, when I make up my jewels. This is the sparkle of the uh, new heaven and the new earth. <clears throat> Chapter or verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God. <clears throat> We'll turn just to the New Testament reference, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6. This is a reality now, but it's going to be revealed in its full glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Second Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> and verse 16, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And then he says, Having therefore these promises... Now, that is a compilation of three uh, um, references, if I could say that. Exodus 29, Leviticus 26, and Ezekiel 37, all where God promises to walk among his people, to dwell in his people. But that is is just in uh, spiritual reality now, but it will be, if I could say, a physical reality in the future where we will uh, be with God um, forever. Now there is these things that attend. So even though that is a spiritual reality now, God walks in our midst. Uh, These things in verse 4 are realities now. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, 
for the former things are passed away. When you read in Isaiah 65, you still have death, you still have sorrow, but those are going to be passed away. And now, um, there is tears, there is sorrow, there is pain of every kind. Um, And the sorrow and the crying come from, primarily, from the great enemy, which is death. And death will be abolished in the resurrection. And uh, death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. And um, God will wipe away all tears. There will be no more pain, uh, physical and emotional. Whatever causes you pain will be gone. And uh, just think of the pain uh, that attends this world. I marvel. I could hardly take it in. When I went to Ethiopia in 2000 and 2008, I could, I could not take in the human suffering. It was beyond what I could handle, seeing just a small little snippet of this world and seeing r- genuine poor people. Um, now, they're unbelievers, but they're poor people that had nothing and were suffering. I could not take it in. I bawled my eyes out. (laughs) And God beholds all of that. And it's, yeah, it's more than, uh, not to mention the lostness of people. And all the attendant uh, abominations of religion and everything else that exists. It's beyond human capability to take in. And what exacerbates that now is the internet, where you can survey the entire world. Wow, there's a disaster going on in BC, and look at this, what's happening in Africa, and, and look at Australia. A, that is going to destroy you emotionally. Or it's going to make you callous. And I've said this before, I just treat it like having to drink Coke you just don't do it very often if you had to, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's just bad for you. Tastes sweet, but not good for your body. So some of these things are just like that. <clears throat> but glory of glories, all that will be gone. <clears throat> Can I hear a shout of? Hallelujah. All that will be gone. Sin will be banished. The devil will be banished and all his minions. Uh, Death and hell cast into the lake of fire. Everything that defiles and all his saints of all time will be gathered in. That's heaven. (laughs) And we could all shout, hallelujah. All that is going to pass away. Verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The one on the throne is the Messiah, as 6, verse 6 indicates. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, 
the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Again, the, uh, the whole picture of the word of God is God has living water and he wants to dispense it and give it freely, but it's only for the thirsty. That seems obvious, but people that are filled up with the world and themselves don't want God. They don't want uh, the water of life. It is an abhorrence to them. Just like, imagine me taking you down to some stagnant pond. There's one on the 55, Dave, you pass it. It's on the east side, about halfway between uh, Glen Erie and my place. There's a stagnant pond. I took you down there and said, drink. It's a (sighs) gross that is a big stagnant pond of duckweed and algae and everything. But so is living water to the person that is filled up with this world and themselves and their own religion. Makes an abhorrence uh, to them. <clears throat> Verse 7. Shall the plane come down? Yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, this one, it's funny. That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, the plane will come down. Uh, let's say we'll, uh, before we get to, um, where could we break off? Yeah, it'll be obvious to us when we get to that point where we can break off. <laughs> He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Note that the person that is the Alpha and Omega is God himself. Uh, Any notion that Jesus is an angel or a created being is uh, a heresy, um, a damnable heresy. Those that would teach and believe that is uh, deception. Uh, He says, I will be his God, capital G the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord Jesus Christ is uh, the God of all eternity, the beginning and the end. He started it. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He started the creation, and he's the end of it. He's going to wrap it all up. He's going to come in judgment and flaming fire. Uh, That is obvious who it is speaking about. And then it gives, that's those who are uh, allowed entrance. The entrance is very uh, open, you might say. Those that thirst, they're the ones that are going to enter. These are the ones that are banned. But the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, it's of course a... Short list. They, you could mention a whole bunch more sins, but unbelieving would summarize all of those things. As we heard, uh, the sin that, that uh, plagues people. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. That's the sin that will keep you out of heaven. Uh, unbelief. And fear and all of those things 
uh, arise out of that one seed. <clears throat> so we are working to cast those things off, whatever they might be, anything that would cling to us of the old life and of the fruits of unrighteousness. Verse 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I'll show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. So he says, I'm going to show you the bride, and then he shows them a city. It's all emblematic, both the bride and the city. The bride is beautiful. The city is beautiful. It's the holy Jerusalem coming down. And it's all emblematic of the people of God. <clears throat> it uh, descends out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like unto a jasper stone. I haven't looked at my notes for ages. But we'll just finish up with describing... <clears throat> or outlining um, the new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ. <clears throat> it talks about its light. <clears throat> That's a big one. Um, it has uh, the glory of God, and it has no need of the sun. That's the new heaven and the new earth. There's no sun and moon. Why? Because there's one light, and that's God himself. <clears throat> It talks about its walls in verse 12, 17, and 18. Its walls are 144 cubits high. There's 144, 12 times 12. Now it gives uh, the thing in cubits, which is 216 feet. The foundations, it talks about its foundations, and its foundations, most foundations are kind of ugly. Who comes up to a house and says, wow, that is some foundation. It's beautiful. I mean, the foundation is kind of like the part you just step on and then you, that's what the building goes on. But this foundation is glorious foundation. And we're going to, of course, next time we'll see why. But the foundation is beautified, <clears throat> glorified, and decked out with all kinds of jewels. It's not like this foundation, which frankly is cracking and is not pretty. And foundations are uh, for one thing, support of a building. But this one is for support and for beauty. Adds to the beautifying of the building. Its gates also uh, talks about, you can't talk about the wall without talking about the gate. And you can't talk about the wall without talking about the foundation. And it's all kind of one. That's why uh, verses 12 through 14 all talk about the wall and the foundation and the gates all in one. But then it expands on that whole thing as it goes through the chapter. It talks about each one of those parts individually and collectively. <clears throat> its size, it's, uh, again, here's this 12,000 furlongs. Twelve, the number twelve. It's the number of the nation, the nation of Israel. You have to be part of that nation to enter the city. And we are citizens of the, with uh, the people of Israel. 
we become, we're no longer strangers or aliens, but we're incorporated into the um, citizenship of Israel. <clears throat> so it's size, it's a perfect cube, 1,500 miles high. So the wall is like this big, and the city towers over it 1,500 kilometers high into the sky. So walls were to protect what's behind there. In an ancient city, you had walls and towers, and then you couldn't see, actually, the buildings and everything behind it. This one, this city is different. It's just towers, like, imagine, 216 feet and 1,500 kilometers high. This is a big city. And it is, I believe, it's the same width, breadth, and height. And it has no temple in it. Because God is the temple. Figure that out. God is the temple. And then it describes its environment in verse 22 and in, uh, yeah, 1 and 2. And we'll end there. So next time, I'm confident we'll finish. (laughs) Can I say that? We can all say a hearty laugh. Uh, but I, yeah, I think we'll getting to the end, literally to the end of the book. So, but I, uh, yeah, it's glorious what it was, what it will be, and we're just the prophets gave a taste, and John is pulling all that in and into two one and a half chapters. And uh, we can all look forward uh, to being and seeing him face to face is really what heaven is all about.